Good morning. Good morning. I hope you're doing well. Um, it's time to get stuck into our next resurrection story. We've been asking that question over the last couple of weeks. What difference does it make that Jesus has risen from the dead? What does it mean to be people of the resurrection? If you're a Christian, you'll know this is one of the central claims of Christianity. One of the truths that we build our lives around, that Jesus is alive, that he's king over everything because he defeated death, and that he has his flesh and bone, that that he's actually alive, not as a metaphor, not just as a some inspiration or kind of great teacher from past who kind of lives in our hearts or something like that, but no, literally alive with his flesh and bone, king over everything. Bit of a wild claim, isn't it? But it changes everything. If you're not a Christian, maybe you have a family member has this on in the corner of the kitchen and you're just listening in. Maybe you're, um, you're here out of curiosity just to see what Christians think. Well, this is the centre of it, that Jesus wasn't just a man, but that he's God. God who came to earth to die for us and to live again, to rise again three days later, to break the power of darkness, to kind of break the spell of death and sadness in this world and bring new life again. That's what the resurrection is all about. So we're going to look at another story today and see what else we can learn. Um, this is from John chapter 21. We're going to read from there. So if you've got a Bible with you, about three quarters of the way through, you'll find John, which is this book written by a man called John, who's one of Jesus's disciples. He's an eyewitness. An eyewitness to what we're going to read today from chapter 21, right at the end, from verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Okay, pause the story there for a minute. They're going fishing, which I think is exactly what they need to do. These guys have been through an awful lot together over the last couple of weeks. In the story, if you followed it along kind of through Easter time or, or just know the story, um, a couple of weeks ago, they had a massive emotional high. They've been marching into Jerusalem with Jesus as the king, thinking that he's going to come. And, and this is the glory days are about to arrive. Everything's going to be okay because Jesus is king. And then three days later, a few days later, he's dead. It's over. The dream is in pieces. He's been murdered brutally, hung on a cross, embarrassed. But then three days after that, people start seeing him alive again. The women first, and then a couple of others, and then he appears to a few more, and then some guys on a, on a, on a trip, and he has dinner with them. And all of a sudden, hope begins to flood back into their lives. And you see, they've been through an emotional roller coaster, up and down and up and down over the last few weeks. And so what they need to do is go fishing, <laughs> spend the night catching some fish and eating them. That's kind of what they're doing, isn't it? But this is also where they're from. They're going back home. Most of these guys are from Galilee, which is where they started off um, and actually where Jesus told them to go. So they're not quitting. They're not I don't know, just leaving it behind and trying to forget about everything that's, that's gone before. Actually, they're doing what Jesus called them to do. Mark chapter 16, Mark's another uh, kind of account of Jesus's life. Right at the end of that, one of the angels tells them, the disciples, to go back to Galilee, where they're from, and that Jesus will meet them there. So they're not running away. They're not giving up hope or anything like that. They're just going back home to wait for Jesus but pretty exhausted, I imagine. And so they go out fishing, back to their old jobs. This is what most of them used to do for work before they started following Jesus. They went out fishing, 
back to what they know how to do, back to get themselves some food, back for a relaxing night of fishing. Maybe if you've got an uncle like that, or an, um, I don't know, a granny or someone who loves the fish, just, you know, when they need to relax, when they need a bit of time on their own, they go to the lake, to the sea, to do some fishing. But if you're anything like me, well, my experiences of fishing pretty much have ended like this one, um, where they caught nothing, had a relaxing time, but caught nothing. And so they're there actually in the morning, probably more exhausted than they started out, fishing all night, not, not even a hint of a bite, nothing in the nets. But then, verse four, carry on reading. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, lads, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because, the large, because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John's way of talking about himself in the story that he's writing. He said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off, probably working hard through the night and jumped into the water, swims to Jesus. The other disciples, followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred meters. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. Bit of a specific number, isn't it? But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This now was the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Isn't that a great story? Come and have breakfast. It's one of my favorite lines in the whole of the Bible. But have you ever wondered how strange that is? That the king of all the universe, the one who's just defeated the great enemies, Satan and sin and death. He's king over everything. He's Lord and God. That's what Thomas just said in the story before this. What is he doing having breakfast, eating barbecued fish with some random guys in Galilee? They're far away place, kind of miles out of the way of the centers of culture and learning and education and religion. He's far away with people like that normal, regular people. What on earth is he doing there? Well, that's our question today. What is he all about? What are we gonna learn about Jesus? That's gonna be our first point. What do we learn about Jesus through this story? What on earth is he doing there? And what does that teach us? And then the second thing is a kind of, there's a story within a story going on in this passage, which maybe you picked up on, maybe you haven't um, quite yet, but we'll get to that in a minute. And that's our second point. That's what does Jesus want us to do? What does he call us to do? If you're a Christian, then that's especially for you, that second point. But okay, first of all, what does this teach us about Jesus? What's he all about? Well, first thing is, isn't he good? Um, isn't he just really kind? They've had a, an exhausting night's fishing, a fruitless, futile um, a night's worth of effort, exhausting fishing, and they've got nothing to show for it. What could they do in the, with in the morning? Good cooked breakfast, right? Nice, hot, warm breakfast, and that's exactly what Jesus provides for them. He's a providing king who gives to us exactly what we need. Lord, give us today our daily bread. And he loves to do that kind of thing. Well, he provides, but for people, people like these guys, in the middle of nowhere, 
um, up in Galilee, not a particularly important place, like I said, a place with all sorts of immigrant communities that had come in and kind of mingled with the people. They called it Galilee of the Gentiles, Galilee of the nations, a kind of real melting pot of, of, of people that was looked down upon uh, by others. I wonder if that rings any bells about Amundford. We know it is the centre of the universe, really, but, but not many other people know that. This kind of melting pot of people from all sorts of different places. Some of us have great educations. Some of us have really important jobs. Others of us don't have much education. Others of us really struggle to get jobs. We're a melting pot here of very regular, normal people. And those are the kind of people Jesus wants to spend time with. People like you, people like me, people from Galilee, people from Ammonford. There's another thing you might not pick up on, but you can read, read on the rest of the chapter later on and you'll see Jesus doesn't just provide for kind of poor, out-of-the-way people, but he wants to spend time with people like Peter. Peter is a guy who, he needed Jesus' mercy. He needed his forgiveness. He wasn't just a poor man from an out-of-the-way place. He was a man who'd, who'd really messed up. A few chapters before this, back in chapter 18, you can go read it later if you want to. It's the story of Peter denying Jesus. The night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before he's murdered, the, the moment that Jesus needs his friends around him, they all disappear. But Peter does even worse than that. Peter's sitting at a distance around a fire, looking, watching Jesus in his trial. And a few people start to say, oh, we recognize you. We reckon you're somebody who follows Jesus, aren't you? Yeah, we know you. And he says, no, no, no. Three times he denies that he even knows Jesus. It's the lowest moment of Peter's life. He's made a complete mess. But what does he do as soon as he gets an opportunity to meet Jesus here? Did you see that in the story? As soon as John twigs that it's Jesus, Peter tucks in his coat, puts on his clothes again, tucks it into his belt and flings himself into the water and starts swimming for all of his might to Jesus. I mean, wouldn't you want to do the opposite? If you're anything like me, when you do something really wrong, when you make a mess of things, you want to get out the other side of the boat and hide away from God, don't you? Isn't that usually our impulse? But Peter knows Jesus. He knows how good he is, how, how full of mercy and forgiveness he is. And so he can't help himself. He sees who it is, recognizes, flings himself into the water, tucks in everything that's going to get in the way and gets to Jesus as quick as possible. Peter's a pretty impulsive guy. If you know the other stories of him, he's always always acting before he really thinks. But this is a beautiful impulse, isn't it? The impulse to fling himself into the water and just to go and see Jesus, to say he's sorry and ask for his forgiveness. I wonder if you've done something like that or if somebody's done something like that to you that just makes you feel like you've got to cringe and hide away from God. Well, you don't. Come and do what Peter does. Tuck in anything that's holding you back. Fling yourself into the water and get to Jesus as fast as you can. If you hear him calling you, if you recognize him for who he is, and recognize yourself for who you are, then come to him as fast as you can. Jump in the water and swim to him. He won't drive you away. He won't say, sorry, what you've done is too far. He'll never do that. He says himself, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He says, all those who come to me, I will never drive away. There's nothing that you could do that would keep you from Jesus. So don't stop any longer. Maybe you could pause this video right now and fling yourself metaphorically into the water and get to Jesus. Come to him and pray and say, Lord, you know what I'm like, but I know what you're like. I know that you are the forgiver. Would you please forgive me? That's what Peter knows Jesus is like. He's the provider. He's the one who spends time with out of the way regular people like you and me, and especially people like Peter, who've made a real mess of their lives. 
But there's one obvious thing that we, we haven't said yet that we learn about Jesus here, and that's that he's alive, right? It's an obvious one, but maybe it shouldn't be that obvious because a couple of weeks before this, he's been brutally murdered. He'd been nailed to a cross. They drove a spear through his heart. And then before the days of antibiotics, they laid him in a tomb and left him there with horrific wounds. He's, he was dead. I mean, really horrifically tortured to death dead. But then here he is. Not as an inspiration, like I said, not as some kind of Mufasa who's kind of come back from beyond the stars and, you know, you can hear his voice, his inspiration to you if you listen out on a quiet starry night with the help of Timon and Pumbaa. It's nothing like that. It's He's actually there. That's the kind of alive that he is, sitting in front of them, eating a piece of fish. He's not a, a spirit or a ghost. He's got flesh and bones. And they can't quite believe it. They're like, we know it's him, but we want to ask him, is it really him? They, that's in verse 13, isn't it? Uh, um, verse 12. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They want to ask him, but they know who it is. It's Jesus physically there, sitting in front of them. That's an incredible thing. You see, there's a few stories in the Bible of people who've been resuscitated. Maybe you know somebody who's kind of been to A&E and been brought back from, from death by smart doctors. Um, but what happens with resuscitation is, if you like, death loses its grip on you. But a few years later, a few months later, a few decades later, maybe, death will get you again and pull you back under. That's what happened with all the other stories of resuscitation in the Bible when people come back from the dead. But with Jesus, it's not just that death lose, lost its grip on him, it's that he, he ripped out the fingers of death, broke the tendons, smashed the bones so that death couldn't hold him anymore. He broke through death and out the other side, never to die again, defeated the final boss of humanity, death, sin, Satan, personified evil. He defeated them all at the cross, forgave sin, crushed Satan, had nothing else to throw at Jesus, did his worst, and Jesus came back from the dead. Satan's defeated. Death is gone, dead itself. So Jesus is, he's the Lord. Do you see that? That's really the thing, not just to learn what he's like, but that he is the Lord, the king over everything. He's defeated the biggest enemies we have, which means he gets to be king and Lord over everything. That means you've got to come to him. Not just when you feel the need, but he really is king, most powerful over all. He really has to be at the center of our lives. We really should turn away, repent of all the other stuff that we've done, all the things that have kind of been our lives lived away from him, moving away from him. We've got to turn our backs on all those things and turn our face towards Jesus because he's the Lord. That's who he is. What does that mean for us? A couple of quick practical things. Well, it means like he has been raised in a body through death and at the other side, so we will be as well. If you're united to Jesus, if you're a Christian, then let me read to you what 1 Thessalonians says, a few um, books further on from John. You read this. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. 1 Thessalonians 4.14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with him, with Jesus, those who've fallen asleep in him those who've died in Jesus. Really, they're just sleeping. Really, their bodies are just sleeping, waiting for him to raise our bodies up again, just like his were, was physically, walking not two feet off the air, not with kind of telepathic communication or anything weird like that, no human life. They saw him and it was weird and it was he was glorious to the point where they almost didn't recognize him, but they did recognize him because it was him more solid than ever before. And he could eat and he could speak and they 
saw him and they heard him and they touched him and they ate breakfast on the beach with him. He was alive. That means that's your future. If you're a Christian, that changes everything. It's not that we just get whisked off to heaven when we die. It's that one day soon he'll raise our bodies up again and we'll love and dance and march and sing and explore the universe and never miss out on anything because we have a physical future. Jesus died and went through the other side to a new bodily resurrection and so will you one day if you are trusting in Jesus, if you are united and joined to him. A couple of practical things, kind of two things that work really well in balance to balance out the Christian's life is this truth. If we have a physical future, well that changes today. It means today that I can live without regrets. I can live sacrificially, I can give, I can live without fear because I'm not gonna miss out on anything. I have eternity in a physical body to explore the world, to, to, to do all those things I missed out on doing here. So you don't need to look back and pine away at old photos of yourself with your athletic physique when you were younger, before your knees crumbled or before you lost your figure and you can't fit into those dresses anymore. You don't need to pine away and regret that lost youth or that lost holiday that you didn't get to go on because you know the pandemic wrecked everything. You don't need to have regrets in this life because, because we're gonna live forever in bodies with Jesus, eating, drinking, loving, embracing, dancing, singing, skiing, exploring, doing all these things that you would wanna do forever with Jesus perfected. No regrets. You can live this life, you can live this life with open hands of generosity, sacrificing and that not being a problem. No fear any longer, you see? This life is not all that there is, that's one truth. But the other truth is, this world really matters. This is the second thing that balances that out. This world is, is important, extremely important to God. He made it and called it good at the beginning, back in Genesis. And then he's sent his son, he's come into this world to redeem this world, to be a body that wasn't whisked away in spirit, kind of finally getting released from all this physical badness around us. No, that's Greek philosophy, that's complete nonsense. No, God came into this world in a body and then was raised to stay and live in a body forever. He still has his flesh and bone. He came into the world to do something about this world. So, so when we see broken things in this world, we wanna do something about it, right? If you're a Christian, you'll know this impulse in yourself when you see children in poverty, when you see people struggling and suffering, when you see injustice and stuff that shouldn't be, that isn't good, you wanna put it right. You wanna go around and give to people who in need and raise people out of suffering and do justice where there's no justice. You want to implement the victory that Jesus won at the cross. You wanna plan and prepare and work hard with all of his energy to do all that we can to be a part of what he's already doing in this world. Bringing victory, bringing his kingdom to redeem and refresh and rehabilitate the whole of the world. That's what he's done, he's begun to do in the resurrection. That's what he will do one day at the end of time. And we'll get to live on this world perfected with him forever. Isn't that a glorious future? Don't you want to be a part of that? That's what we learned from this. Did you think we could get that from the fish? Jesus is alive physically. It means one day you will be as well. It means you can, you can let go of the things in this life. You don't have to worship them and hold on to all those pleasures and live for yourself here. You can live sacrificially without any fear of death. And you can also live putting everything that you have into God's mission in this world to redeem and make it all good as he made it to be in the beginning. That's a beautiful vision. I think it is anyway, something I wanna be a part of. I wonder if you'll come and be a part of that as well. Christianity isn't just about 
going to heaven when you die, about having a kind of personal relationship with God only. It's about everything being fixed, all of us living together with God, people from every tribe and tongue and nation gathered to live as humans were made to live with him forever. Do you want to be a part of that? Well, fling yourself into that water. Come to Jesus right now. That's the first thing we learn. Jesus is alive. He's the Lord. He's the King who changes everything, not just for the future, but right now. The one who provides, the one who, who loves to spend time and do good for people like you and me, whatever we've done, even if it's as bad or worse than what Peter did. But what's that second thing? What does God want us to do? Well, we've got hints of it already. He wants us to be a part of taking this good news to every nation to be a part of what Peter does in this story. Did you see what he does? Peter dives into the water, eventually goes back to the boat and pulls out from the sea a huge number of fish, 153. Remember they're eyewitnesses, they were actually there seeing this, it really happened. 153 fish in a net that didn't break with this miraculous number of fish. So what's going on there? Okay, we've got to go back to another story where a very, very similar thing happened right at the beginning of their time with Jesus. Peter. In Luke chapter 5, if you want to look it up, Peter's on the shore again, and Jesus says, come on, Peter, and a few of the other disciples, let's get into the boat and go fishing. Luke chapter 5, I'm going to read it to you from verse 4. Jesus said, come on, put out into deep water, let's go and um, fish, let down the nets for a catch. So Peter answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Sound familiar? They've already been out fishing, and Jesus says, come on, let's go out again. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them out. When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished, amazed at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, these guys who were here, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. Listen to this. Don't be afraid. From now on, you're fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on the shore, left everything and followed him. Can you see what's going on? Can you see the story within a story? That if you knew that, that that's how Peter started with Jesus, you would see that this is how he's continuing with Jesus. That when he's forgiven, when he's restored, when Jesus puts his life back together again, Peter's gonna have a job to do. To go out to the, to the world and bring people in. So the, this story is, it happened, but it's also a picture of what Peter was meant to do. Peter became a leader in the early church and he went out to the world, which often in the Old Testament, the sea is a picture of the world, of the Gentiles, of people who, who weren't Jews, who didn't know God, people who were far away, who turned away from him, like the sea that was just frothing about and didn't know which way it was going. That's what the people of the world, it's kind of a picture, a metaphor for them. So what does Peter do? He dives into that water and brings out fish, 153 all different types of fish in a net that can't break. Well, what's that all about? Well, Jesus already said those fish are like people. Peter, you're not just going to be a fisherman anymore. You're going to be somebody who goes to catch lives, souls, people from all around the world. So here they are in Galilee of the nations where all the people have come to this melting pot. Here's Peter jumping into this sea that's a picture of the nations and pulling out fish that are a picture of the people in a net that won't break, the church of God that has grown from strength to strength, even through all sorts of horrific stories and suffering and difficulty and failure and sin, the church isn't broken. The church will bring together as many people as want to come into it. A huge, miraculous, 
number of people. It'll do the job to bring people safely home to shore, to Jesus, to the Master. Do you see the story within a story? Do you see what Jesus is calling not just Peter, but us to do? At the end of this gospel, this good news of Jesus, this account of his life, of all that he's done for us, to die for us, to live for us, what does he do? He sends us out to say, go on, get into the world, dive into the seas of the world, where it's frothing, where people don't know which way they're coming or going, where they worship all kinds of different other gods and tell them, we know who God is. His name is Jesus. We know what hope is. His name is Jesus. We know what life is. His name is Jesus. We know what resurrection is. His name is Jesus. The resurrection and the life. Would you want to come and know him? Do you want to be one of those fish that belong to him? Do you want to be one of those people who get to go out and tell more fish and bring them in? And we're mixing our metaphors up and it all sounds a bit strange, but this is our job. In Jesus' strength, with his ways, right? He tells them what to do. They fail at the task on their own, all night, trying hard with their own methods, in their own strength. It's dark, but Jesus brings the dawn. Jesus says, do it this way. And then a miraculous catch happens. So, okay, let's go do it. Let's go and share the gospel of Jesus with people, but we've got to do it in his strength, right? Not just with our own methods, not just in our own strength, with our own cleverness. We've got to go out praying to him, Lord, would you give us strength? Would you show us where to fish? Would you bring people into the nets that they might come and know life and know you as we know you? We've got to do it in his way, like these people do. They're fishing in his way. And we can be encouraged that it's going to happen. Um, That's the secret of successful mission, of doing what Jesus wants us to do, is doing it his way. The Lord's work in the Lord's way. And the scope of it, anybody's welcome. The net is never going to break. It's big enough to throw its arms around anybody who would come, whatever they're like, whether they're like Peter, wherever they're from, the other side of the world, whatever they've done, whoever, wherever they've been, um, oh, whoever you are, whoever it is is your next door neighbor, whoever it is in your family that seems like a fish who's always swimming away, that has no interest in Jesus, well, he can do it. This miraculous thing of bringing people to come and know him. Do you wanna be a part of that? A part of this world? which has a physical future, where you've got to jump in and come and know Jesus. Do you want to be a part of that mission of taking that good news to all the fish of the seas, to all the people of every tribe and tongue and nation? Well, come and be a part of that as well. You can pray. You can ask God to help. You can ask him to help you find somebody, a neighbour, a friend, your barber, that person in the shop, somebody you spoke to on the street the other day. I don't know, maybe you have somebody in mind. Let's pray now that the Lord would help us to be like Peter, jumping in to come to him, and jumping into the world to bring people to him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that this is who you really are. Um, You are the Lord of everything, the one who's defeated all of our greatest enemies, who keeps us safe, who provides for us, who comes to us, who forgives us, who is our Lord. Lord, you are God over us. So we wanna come to you and say, oh Lord, we wanna be like Peter and John, recognizing you, swimming to you as soon as we hear your voice. Lord, we pray that you would welcome us as we do that, as you promised to do. Lord, we, we also want to be a part of your mission as well, taking this good news to others, being confident that you will bring people in. Um, Lord, being confident in your ways as well, to do things the way that you want us to do. So we ask that you help us to do that. Help us to be faithful fishermen like Peter, um, like John, like all of these legends that we read about uh, in, uh, in the Gospels. Lord, they were real people who were normal people, 
who went out and found other people and brought them to you. So Lord, we ask that you would help us to be like that, to take every opportunity, to not be afraid, but to, with your strength, Lord, with um, your ways, um, to do what you've called us to do. Amen.